Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good afternoon. My name is Riley Foreman and I'm a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. It's my pleasure to introduce our panel, The Show Must Go On, Digitization and Innovation in the Sports World. Our panelists today are Stephanie McMahon, Chief Brand Officer of the WWE, Burke Magnus, Executive Vice President, Programming and Original Content at ESPN, and Steve Paliuka, Co-Chairman, Bing Capital, and Co-Owner of Boston Celtics. This panel will this, our panel will be moderated by Scott Shoshnik, Editor-in-Chief of Sportico. This panel will run for 35 minutes and we will leave 10 minutes at the end for questions. Please use the chat on the right of the window for discussions during the panel and the Q&A option also on the right to submit questions to our panelists, as well as on Twitter using the hashtag, the show must go on. Questions will then be selected by the moderator. With that, I'll turn it over to Scott. Oh, thank you, Riley. And I can't believe you put the pressure on me. Questions will be selected by the moderator. Now all the disdain is coming my way if we don't get to that, your question, I apologize. You know, we're going to select a few. It, it's, it is not some sort of editorial on the questions that were sent. But we are titled, The Show Must Go On. And there is probably no bigger show in sports and entertainment than the WWE. And Stephanie, you and I did this not long ago via Zoom. And you know I like to have fun with these. So I bring some props. And I think some of our other guests might have as well. But I got to lean down for a second. Uh-oh. Oh, you know what I do. I like to do my interviews with belts over my shoulder whenever I have Stephanie McMahon on. You know, this, this is what we call entertainment. You have something coming up this weekend, Stephanie, right? There's a little event, right? It's like a small little thing. It's called WrestleMania. You know, it's like our Super Bowl or our World Cup. And uh, it's taking place this Saturday and Sunday from Raymond James Stadium, actually following in the Super Bowl's footsteps. And uh, we also have takeover nights. Last night was night one and tonight is night two, which is our third brand NXT's like mini WrestleMania. So very exciting stuff. Yeah, you make it easy for me though, because we're talking about the show going on and innovation. You launched an app today for WrestleMania. We did. And I'm curious how many of the things in the app would have been utilized pre-COVID? Well, um, you know, it's a hard, question to answer. I think we've really learned a lot. And in terms of the, the cashless experience and all of the different things that are in the WrestleMania app, boy, maybe half of them would have been in there, you know, had it not been the pandemic. We've just learned so much about the experience. And, you know, here we are in our first event returning with, you know, over 25,000 fans, hopefully returning into Raymond James Stadium. Um, it's going to be so special to have those fans back and we want to do everything we can to make sure they feel safe and protected and also just, you know, have the time of their lives and hopefully create memories that last a lifetime. Now, Steve, you're an owner of an NBA team, the Boston Celtics. How have you utilized technology to stay in touch with not only fans, but sponsors throughout this year where they haven't been able to come to the arena and watch your games? Well, that's a great question. We obviously have used Zoom an awful lot to get in touch with our fan base, and they're really chomping at the bit to get back in the stadiums. And as you know, in, since you're from Massachusetts, it's only 12% capacity right now, so uh, which is a lot better than 
than uh, it was before when we were, I was going to games before it was it was basically about 20 people in the stands and now at least we have 1800 that that sound like 10,000 but uh, we've used zoom uh, we use email um, we're sending out clips and we're trying to keep the fans engaged and in touch and thank goodness for this technology obviously um, it would be a lot harder even than COVID is itself if we didn't have the technology that we have today. Yeah. Burke, you're coming from ESPN's perspective, broadcasting. You're here to show games. Games go dark. What kind of scramble was it at the outset when your head of programming, your most visible and valuable programming disappeared in a blink? Yeah, it's been an unbelievable year to say the least. Um, I don't think I'll ever forget uh, March 11th, which was, you know, the night that uh, the NBA stopped. Um, I was actually at a retirement party for a colleague of mine, Trog Keller, who ran our audio and radio team for many years. And as soon as I glanced up at the TV and saw what was happening and almost simultaneously looked down to see my phone ringing from Bill Koenig at the league, I said, "Uh Oh, this is not good. And, um, you know, I think people had a sense of what was coming potentially at that point. So it was really just the tipping point in terms of things that uh, events that were going to be impacted first cancel or first postponed, suspended, delayed, ultimately some things canceled, having to be rescheduled. Um, but it, it was a remarkable um, stretch for us uh, to have to, first of all, dismantle 10 uh, de linear domestic schedules um, almost overnight and then rebuild them without the benefit of any live sporting events for several months. Uh, and then to have really what has sustained even to this day, which is we're still getting back on cycle for many things. The NBA, even though they're playing now in what would be their season as they're off schedule because they didn't start and restart until December and um, you know, we had a master's in November and we have a master's this weekend or today, starting today. Um, so, you know, it, I don't think anybody ever foresaw a moment where the master's would have two consecutive majors back to back. It would both be the same golf tournament. By the way, my arm's getting tired, too. I, I have to take off my favorite ring. Uh, Scott. So it's about this time every day where my hand gets tired. I take off my, my that's ring. why I took it off my shoulder. It's, it's just yeah, too heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, Stephanie, I want, I want one of those. How do, how do I get I have to drive to Orlando and pick it up. It looks like it's pretty far. Steve, Steve, if memory, if memory serves, Steve, because I was in the building working that night, I believe you have a ring of your own. I do. I do. And it, it's, yeah. it's, it's close to as large as that size, too. So hopefully, hopefully we're going to get another one in the next next five years. Got yeah. it. I'm, I'm making a note. <laughs> Now, do me a favor. Take Burke, me behind Burke, the I'm scenes. Curious. I'm, I'm curious, Burke. I mean, what happened when that went down? I mean, that's an amazing amount of programming you had to fill in. Yeah. And that it's affecting thousands or tens of thousands of people from ESPN, this, you know, the production. What happened yeah. the minute that happened? Like, how did well, you... we, Yeah, we, we sort of had the, the, the mother of all, all hands meetings, you know, in Bristol uh, to just really, it was like a, it was sort of like a wartime scenario for real. It was uh, triage in terms of assigning people to do things, you know, trying to trying to get trying to work even a couple days at that point in advance, you know, uh, in terms of our schedule and getting it published and and uh, and out. 
Um, one thing I'm really proud of, and I know the people of ESPN are really proud of, is that we never went off the air with SportsCenter um, throughout that entire pro, uh, that, that that the entire COVID experience. Um, a lot of places had to shut down entirely. We always had sort of a plucky group of about a couple hundred people who kept SportsCenter on the air every day since then to to this day, and we slowly but surely rebuilt the schedule with some live hours of studio every day to talk about um, the impact, um, but with no events. So then it became a question of getting some structure to our schedules. You know, we talked to the NFL about making Monday night into a Monday night football uh, schedule of old games, right? Tuesday night was MLB. That's, that's, you know, great games from MLB. Wednesday nights are NBA night, Wednesday and Friday. So we made Wednesday night, you know, great NBA um, games. Uh, and we just tried to create some, structure that fans could rely on for for anything at that point and then we started doing crazy stuff like um you know we did a, a deadlift competition live from iceland with the guy from game of thrones right we did uh you know esports e exploded especially in 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 auto racing where you know you, you know nascar and formula one and others created pretty uh, realistic experiences through through esports racing um I did an Eagles concert film in July, which got a lot of attention. We talked to uh, Steph and we did right out of the shoot almost some great WrestleManias in advance of last year's WrestleMania, which had yep. never really been seen before on ESPN, certainly on ESPN. And it was a great moment of synergy to promote uh, WrestleMania, keep that flame burning, but also promote WWE Network and all the great archive content that they have. So it was literally like a day by day, you know, trying to get 10 feet further, you know, the every day, every, and you, every you'll hour. appreciate it from a basketball standpoint, Steve. They also fast tracked a, a certain program that involved Michael Jordan. Yep. Oh yeah. That, that, that yeah, was, that. Thank, thank <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. Thank goodness. That was a, uh, almost immediately, you know, fans started connecting the dots because we had announced the series. It wasn't going to be for several months. Uh, but people started picking up on it. It got a lot of traction in social. Then, then sports writers started writing about it. Are they going to pull it up? Are they going to move it up? Well, the, the dirty little secret was we weren't done producing it yet. And, you know, it was a 10 part series and, and uh, that we knew was going to be good, but um, cause we were far enough into it at that point. Um, and it sure was, but we, we were very nervous about moving it forward because we weren't sure when we were going to be able to finish it. Uh, so, but we ultimately got comfortable. We picked a date in April. It went for 10 straight weeks. We started it before we were done producing it, which was a high wire act in and of itself. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think there's been anything in my career that I got more direct feedback from fans about than the last dance, mostly because it was, it was kind of like a thank you to sports fans who had nothing else really to, to look forward to at that point, an unknown future of when, live sports were going to return. Yeah, I love the fact, Stephanie, that we know that sports fans have this voracious appetite for the programming. You guys were lucky in that you had your training center in Florida where you could put on events, but let's, let's be real, and I think you'd agree, it's not the same without the emotion of the crowd there. But you did your best, and technology helped you do it. So what did you do? What did you learn? And what will you take moving forward? 
So uh, similar to Burke, just so incredibly proud, you know, of our team because we never went off the air. We never stopped providing live content for our partners and for our fans. We felt it wasn't a question of if, but how. And we had actually had NXT, which is our third brand that I was mentioning before. Typically, typically we perform at Full Sail University, but for whatever reason, that one week in March, uh, we had to move to our performance center and we did have live fans on Tuesday night prior to everything shutting down. And our trucks were on their way to Detroit, to Little Caesars Arena um, for SmackDown. And at the last minute, you know, it was actually my husband, Paul Levesque, Triple H, who, who runs NXT and he called my father, Vince, it is a family business. And uh, he said, you know, do you want me to leave all the production equipment up here in the performance center just in case and Vince said um yeah I think that's a really good idea and sure enough on Thursday we had to turn the trucks around and come back to the performance center which is where we did Smackdown live that night in front of no audience um and let me tell you no audience is no fun it yeah. is so hard for our performers I think for athletes as well but especially for WWE superstars, because we feed off of the crowd. You know, their reactions actually help indicate what happens in the ring. It's, it's performance art mis mixed with improv. Um, and ultimately, we were hoping to be back on the road in the fall, uh, back at live events, but that wasn't meant to be. So we then reinvested in the television product partnered with a group called the famous group and we then brought in and, and also took up residency at Amway Center in, in Orlando and we created what we call the Thunderdome which was like this this virtual fan arena bringing in nearly a thousand fans every single night leveled and tiered so it really does feel as though the fans are live in the arena um, it's about a second and a half delay but to the casual viewer they can't you know hear that and it allowed us to experiment with things like drone cameras, pyro, you know, different types of technology, augmented reality, things we had never really done before. And uh, we then moved our residency to Tampa. And, uh, you know, we are now we are moving to the Yingling Center because, of course, all of the sports leagues are coming back and, and they, they want their territories back. Spring season is starting for baseball. And, you know, we're hoping to be back to touring now again in the second half of the year taking with us all of our key learnings, um, you know, from this whole experience and, and looking at what that merger of the, the virtual and the physical world is really going to look like for us. I, I think, Steve, you'll probably be impressed by this and correct me if I'm wrong, Stephanie, but your e-commerce during the shutdown completely, 100%, and let me know if it's even more, replaced in arena sales. That's correct, ticket sales and merch. And um, yep, but the big cost savings was actually producing our television out of the performance center, right? Because we had to scale so far down. But then when we invested in the Thunderdome, now our production expenses went right back up. So we're actually feeling more of the impact, the financial impact in 2021. Steve, but you're about she mentioned key learnings. What are some of the key learnings that the Celtics and the NBA will take away? from this COVID period moving forward? Well, first of all, I, I think that um, Adam Silver, you know, did the right thing, shut the league down on March 11th. And, and more importantly, uh, really took a fact-based approach as he does with everything to COVID. And, and so they assembled some of the best experts in the world 
and we, we immediately been, began plotting with the ownership groups uh, and the governors, how do we get back in operation? How do we do that safely? And how do we keep the players safe and the fans safe? And out of that was, you know, born the, the truncated season in Orlando. And uh, we, I had been working, as you know, with the state of Massachusetts and the Mass Psych Tech Council on, the, on COVID reopening. And the facts were very scary last March and April as, as the, and less scary today, but a vaccine was probably at that point nowhere in sight. It was two to four years and the disease was, was rampant. Uh, so the NBA took a very thoughtful approach, designed this bubble, um, our, our own kind of Thunderdome, I guess, Stephanie, where, where uh, they had virtual fans. Um, I think they did a fantastic uh, production job with, with, the, with the television stations because I attended some of the games down there. They, they only let a few um, ownership folks into, into the games. But when you watch it on television, it was, it was very close to the NBA product because they did a great job of piping fan noise in, having fans on the screens. Um, and the most amazing thing is all the work, uh, thousands of hours that went into that, uh, we had zero players infected in the bubble. Uh, anybody that got COVID was pre-bubble. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, and we worked with uh, ESPN and Disney to have that site where we had testing every day. And David Weiss from the NBA did an amazing job managing this entire uh, staffing of, of, of all sorts of testing and follow-up and testing of employees that were working in the facility. So if, if you would have asked me uh, how many people would get COVID during the NBA bubble, I would have said it would have been in the hundreds of the players and it, it was actually zero. Um, and some, some, some service folks did get COVID, but the great thing about the everyday testing was they never infected uh, the, the players or any of the staff because when you get the result very quickly, you can then be quarantined and get taken care of medically so there's no spread. And, and that, that, you know, that, that whole project really fed into what we did in Massachusetts um, about, about uh, the key things of stopping the spread, mask wearing, um, not socializing and keeping the distance. Uh, that, all that science was utilizing the NBA bubble and, and a huge credit to Adam and the whole NBA team for pulling that off. Well, there's a great deal of optimism in all the commissioners and owners I speak with about Q3, Q4, moving forward about everybody coming back. So I'm interested in the conversations, Burke, that you would have with league constituents. That would be owners, commissioners, uh, production people. Moving forward now, knowing what you know, and we're moving to a digital world and you know, Ted Leonsis compares monumental sports to a SaaS business. He's like digital, digital, digital. We know about Peacock. Stephanie, you have a relationship now with WWE Peacock. Burke, you have ESPN+. Plus. The bundle is shrinking. People are moving to streaming. What are the conversations? And I'd like to step back for a second. Burke, you have the conversation with Stephanie and Steve that ESPN wants to have with the stakeholders on the other side. What is broadcasting sports going to look like? What do you need? What works? What is the future of broadcasting? Oh, there's a nice uh, small question, right? Uh, I'm going to go, go get lunch. I'll be back when you're done, yeah. okay? I think everybody will be entertained by this. Yeah, where's the <laughs> countdown clock on that one? Um, <laughs> I can put one on if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting part about the industry that we all play in is that, um, you know, it, it, you, the answer differs for, for every property, every event. Um, you know, every conference or league. And a lot of it has to do with time, with timing, right? I mean, um, 
I got a question recently about the deal we did with the NHL, um, which I'll uh, which I'm going to use as sort of a, an answer to this question. Uh, and the question was, why did you apply this new philosophy to the NHL deal? And the answer was because it was available, right? <laughs> like, I mean, like timing of, of negotiations has so much to do with what ultimately manifests itself for a particular league or, or property. For example, the NBA, and by the way, you know, I, I echo Steve's, you know, compliments to the league, uh, to Adam, to the teams, to the players about how they handled, um, you know, uh, like no other, frankly, uh, the, the COVID uh, situation uh, in finishing their season. Uh, it was just a tremendous um, effort and undertaking, something we were actually very proud to be a part of um, at Disney in Orlando. Um, so, you know, like, this is not intended in any way to suggest that the NBA isn't um, perhaps the most innovative and most forward looking league uh, that we, that we have a partnership with or that we talk to regularly because they, they are, it's just that our rights with them have a couple more years to run as does Turner's. And I'm sure the next deal is going to look completely different than the prior deal, you know, uh, in, in many, many ways uh, because the prior deal was done at this point so long ago right so it'll look primarily look different because i think there's an extra comma and a few more zeros (laughs) i'm sorry to say burke but you're aware of that steve is happy stephanie's happy i understand you might not be the happiest with that i'm not authorized to talk on that subject (laughs) Um, but um but let me talk about the NHL because really this is the model that we're that we're that we are currently applying to 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 uh, rights um, and distribution conversations, which is, and and it's a gr- it's a really interesting moment in time for us because we think that our capabilities match perfectly with what modern leagues are looking to accomplish because we're at a moment in time where it's not it's not one thing or the other right it's a, we're in the middle of massive transformation. Um, you know, sometimes you read articles that would suggest that we're all going to wake up one morning and it's just going to be done and changed and everything, you know, cable television will be gone and, you know, streaming will be the only thing available and nothing works that way. I think everybody realizes that that is a baseline level. So we're in this moment of, of transformation. And when we talk to leagues, they primarily want two things. They obviously want reach. Uh, and the biggest and broadest reach to reach the most people as pop as they can, but they also want to expand their audiences and they want to make sure that they have a way to touch and reach and engage with fans that might be um, outside the system or might be because of their age or demographics might be consuming sports differently than, you know, than has been the case traditionally. So when we, when we go, we say, Hey, listen, we've got everything that you would need to do both of those things and more. Right. There's a we have a broadcast network over the air broadcast network in ABC. We have multiple fully distributed cable networks in the ESPN suite. We have the industry leading by a wide margin digital and social platforms. And now we have a direct to consumer product uh, in ESPN Plus that you talk about a bundle connects with that we bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu to make sort of an, an unbelievable array of ways to to find, engage and ultimately for us, monetize audiences. And I think you're just showing off, Burke, and just to just to even it out a little bit, you know, you don't have ESPN <laughs> the phone, do you? 
Uh, no, but I could get you one. Uh, <laughs> along, along with the Sports Illustrated football phone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's 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 all of those things, right? And we and we are, you know, we're really proud. I mean, listen, I have I I'm not here to to denigrate our competition in any way, shape, or form, but we're really proud of the fact that we've as a major media conglomerate sort of moved in the direction of where we think everything's going to be. And we are not waiting, you know, for one business model to end and another one to begin, because again, it just doesn't happen that way. And we also pride ourselves on our partnerships and we listen constantly and we engage constantly with our partners on the right side uh, because their success is our success. And, you know, the guiding light for us is to try and be the best partner we can be for for the leagues and properties that we're in business with, understanding that you can't possibly um, have deals with everybody or buy rights to everything anymore. The cost of entry is so high. So Steve, you're on that NBA side and Stephanie, you just did a huge streaming deal. So we know that the NFL just brought Amazon into the fold for a billion dollars. Curious between Steph and Steve, how do you see that world shaking out of rights agreements What's the benefit of streaming over the scale of linear TV? There's an age discrepancy there. If you want to reach the kids, how do you guys see it? Well, I, I would say, you know, maybe the panel should have named the show Must Go Digital. Um, and that's happening at a very rapid rate. And you have, we haven't even talked about, you know, NFTs and blockchain and all those other developments. That are that's what on. you're here for. You're part of the blockchain committee of the NBA. <laughs> I don't know of another league that has a blockchain committee. Yeah, it's a very it's a it's a very interesting exercise, but but if you if you step back, at the end of the day, this is going to give fans more option options on how to see the sports, when to see the sports, um, how to directly get involved with with the properties and and, and directly link uh, our 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 games to the fans, and that's a real positive. Um, it, it's also going to going to allow for for more interactivity for for the most you know engaged fans. You know, the, 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 it's always been feared the last 20 years that the cable bundle gets broken up and it is finally happening. And that's gonna, gonna really cause differentials in pricing and, and, and probably the super fan is gonna end up buying more streaming services and, and buying more sports packages individually, but then it allows people who wanna specialize in something to specialize. So overall, I think it is, it is, it is great for the consumer and the world will be rebundled into, into either streaming packages or individual packages and it gives it gives folks more more choice and more options of where to spend their dollars. So ultimately, I think it's great for consumers. It's going to be a, a transitional time, certainly for the networks and and uh, and all people who are distributing programming. But it's a very exciting time, and and uh, I think the it's going to give also make the games more global. So so certainly for the NBA, uh, we can we are now streaming almost everywhere and and building leagues everywhere. So I think it's a brave new world. It's it, it's going to be scary, but it's just definitely exciting and. And it's going to grow the fan base. Hey, Steph, can I bring a word in that we haven't heard yet? And that's data. Yep. Does the streaming customer provide you with more data? What are you gleaning from them? And what do you do with it? Absolutely. And, and let me just allow me to go back to the previous question real quick. So, and WWE is very, you know, proud and privileged, of course, to be a part of industry leaders like the NBA, Celtics, ESPN, et cetera. And, you know, here we are having this conversation and WWE, one thing I've learned from my father is to always be slightly ahead of the curve, 
not so far ahead that people can't understand what you're doing, certainly not behind. So we've always had a, a distribution ecosystem, if you will, three different tiers. Last year, we produced 2,300 hours of content and we produced it with this one independent producer. And we produced it for our linear television partners, which not only includes our in-ring program, but also spin-off shows, reality shows, competitions, etc. Netflix is going to be doing a four-part documentary on my father's life, which is equal parts scary and exciting. Um, A&E is doing biography series. We're doing a memorabilia show. Then we do have our AVOD strategy, which is all about you know, digital and social media. We actually have a gaming vertical with some of our superstars who are gamers. Um, we're, we're active in, in all of the gaming spaces. We created a new show called the Superstar Gaming League, pitting our talent against other celebrity influencer gamers because um, that content creation is so important and the ability to engage and interact with your audience where they are, when they want to watch and how they want to watch. And which was the original reason why we created WWE Network over seven years ago, which was our direct-to-consumer platform that, as you mentioned, we have now licensed all of that content over to Peacock, including WrestleMania this weekend. Um, but we were really one of the first to launch. You like how I threw that in there. You know, I'm, I'm a promoter. Yeah, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. You didn't miss a beat. By the way, it's presented by Snickers, everybody. Yes, thank, you. thank you. God, Scott, you're so good. Uh, but, you know, hey, wait a minute! League, League Pass, League Pass was in there a long time. League Pass was the first. O <laughs> League Pass was the first OTT. Nobody considered it oh, back then. OTT. Says it one of the first. Um, <laughs> but you know what we really were, and we we look at those key learnings and realize now, as as the world has sped up and all of these competitive streaming services are out there, what's the best place for for WWE? We're not a technology company. So we want to focus on what we do best. We don't want to be competing with features and speed and search and everything else on all of these incredible, you know, streaming giant platforms. So now we've licensed that content, you know, to Peacock, um, which is, you know, we're one of the first movers to do to do that transition as well. Um, so it's it's important to be on top to have your, your finger on the pulse of the marketplace, as it were, and to make sure that reaching your fans is absolutely in the forefront. You know, I think that that it always has to be fan first. It always has to be consumer first. That's how you have to think. And that's when you think about all these other opportunities like blockchain, like NFT, like gaming interactivity in ways that, you know, we haven't even really started scratching the surface yet. And especially in terms of data. So getting back to your last question, and we're lucky to have such great partners who are going to still continue to share subscriber data with us, but that data is imperative. You want to know as much as you can about your consumers and your customers so you can deliver a customized experience that's really you know, worthy of the passion that they have for your brand so you can continue to build on that. Okay, this guy just walked in the door from school. This is my focus group of one. Burke, I want to go to you. Because what will the presentation of games look like for this guy? Because he does not sit on the couch with me and watch a game, but he's on the Xbox. He knows every NFL player because he does NFL, whatever, 20, whatever it is. He plays the hockey on there. His friends know the players, but they will not sit and watch a three-hour game. Will the broadcast of games start to look more like a video game for the next generation? I think it's an oversimplification to say it's going to look like a video game. I don't think it needs to look like a video game. What it needs to look like is whatever he wants it to be. Right. That's right. And, and, and it's going to be in multiple, um, 
you know, mm-hmm. executions um, that I think are going to be highly personalized and, uh, and, and, and in some cases individually delivered or constructed, right? It's not a stretch to think that uh, an individual fan at some point with a set of tools that could be potentially easily delivered to them through an app environment, they could create their own presentation as they see, to, as they see fit. In the NBA application, that might be, you know what, I only want to watch uh, Jason Tatum, you know, play, and I just want to see him run up and down the court, and I want to, I want to follow his every move, right? Thank you for picking a Celtic and keeping Steve happy. <laughs> Steve was happy yeah. about that. <laughs> Burke's an amazing negotiator. That'll probably cost us another hundred million in the television deal. Yeah, that's right. But David, well, David Stern used to say, and, and by the way, this was before digital proliferation. The customer, how I want it, where I want it, when I want it. It's no yeah. different. I mean, you're saying that's what we're going to be getting to anyway. Scott, yeah. Scott, let, me, let, me, let me ask you a question. How many people do you think have seen an NBA game live in the country? Oh, most people don't live anywhere near an arena. They can't go. What, what percent? Give me, give me a wild guess. Oh, what percent? Man, five. One percent. Less than one percent. That was high. Wow. Which, which, when you think about it, if that's a huge digital virtual reality possibility to get more fans to be in the stadium. You know, they, we've seen prototypes of, of, the, uh, of obviously the, the headsets um, and those are shrinking and those are getting you know, much, much better. So there are going to be a lot of ways to replicate that in, in, in arena experience for, for a bunch of fans. And that's really exciting. How do you keep the in arena so important when I think the real ability to scale your game is via tech? The biggest audience is not with a limited number of seats. Why even waste your time with an arena? Well, the arena is electric, electric, and yeah, as you know, the garden's been renovated, and and I think arenas are going to become huge social spots in the areas around them. So I don't think we're going to lose that, and probably after COVID, uh, we're going to be packed. Yeah. We already have a huge waiting list for tickets, and uh, people are being cooped up for a year. There's there's a mania to see all the games, and people trying to get those 1,800 seats that we have right now. It's very difficult. So and I think we, arenas will be a magnet, and 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 they will be here to stay. It's it, but I do think this is an opportunity for the rest of America to experience kind of more in arena like views and maybe, and maybe some additional things that you can't even do in an arena. So it's, it's an exciting time. And Scott, we talked about it. We talked about it earlier, like after the year that we've been through, like from a broadcaster perspective, like we, we need those buildings filled with people going crazy. Like they used to the atmosphere, the excitement, there's no substitute for that. I, I mean, none of us want to go back to, to that. And the quicker we can get to, you know, what it was before pre-COVID in terms of the environment in arena, the sooner, the better, as far as we're concerned. And and this Saturday and Sunday, we just can't wait to have that audience back for WrestleMania. But in all seriousness, there's nothing like it live. There, There is nothing like coming to the venue, to the arena, to the stadium, and feeling that kinetic energy of the fans around you. And I think it's one of the things that that sports and, and WWE really have in common is that community. You know, I, I, I think I said it in the beginning for, for WrestleMania in a non-pandemic era, we typically have people from over 60 countries, all 50 states, all different political beliefs, backgrounds, et cetera, all coming together to share this thing that they love, which is WWE, this passion. It's like a giant homecoming. And we can't wait to bring all of our fans back home you know, two arenas all over the world. Stephen Burke, sports betting, from a revenue perspective, from a second screen, second, third screen, from a presentation perspective. And Stephanie, perhaps fans won't be betting on your events, 
but there is some sort of gamification that you could utilize. Yep, we're free to what play. Are, what are we seeing? What, what are the plans there? Yep, I'll well, let these guys go. As, as you know, the NBA has been way out ahead of that uh, from David Stern, Adam Silver, saying that we had a large illegal betting market. So isn't better if it's regulated and it creates tax revenues, much better way to go. From we're, we're finding that it creates even more fan engagement. And so it's taking casual fans you know, who, who enjoy uh, making those bets, uh, watch the games and pay more attention to the players. You obviously have to make sure you have incredible officiating and you, you, you have to pay attention to a lot of things about the fairness of the game and, 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 and how you can bet and when you can bet, but those technologies are, are, are getting there. So I think companies like DraftKings and FanDuel have really taken a large share of that market right now because it's, it's really fun to be in that NCAA pool or, or, or watch a golfer and, and bet on every stroke. Um, and so it's, it's really just created more fan engagement. I was going to go back and say, when you think about the last 20 years since, since I gave that presentation to your nephew's kindergarten class, at that time, Scott, when we, when we purchased the Celtics, they, they almost didn't even have a, a – they had the names – and addresses of second season ticket holder members. They weren't on email, they weren't connected. And we saw that as a major opportunity to become connected. We did not know there'd be Snapchat and Facebook and, and, uh, and all the services out there, Twitter, but really the technology has moved so much in the last 20 years, it's really increased fan engagement. So, so fans can be fans virtually all the time and that trend is gonna continue. And I think that's great for the NBA, great for wrestling and, and, and great for the networks because it just creates more interest and, and more engagement. So I think the watchwords are digital and fan engagement, and that's all gonna go up in the next 10 years. I love it. We do have some audience questions here and playing off that for Burke, in 30 years when ESPN does a 30 for 30 on COVID, what is the sports event that it's about? The sports event that it's about? That's what it says. What is the sports event that it's about? So when we, not sure I get the exact point there, but when you do the 30 for 30 on COVID, what are we focusing on? What, what's sort of that nut of that program? I think the core of it's going to be the NBA bubble. I mean, to me, like the, it, to me, that is the, the sort of the monumental achievement of COVID era sports. And then it's going to, everything else will can emanate from, and by the way, it was, also sort of towards the front end of it. So we, you know, we, we have this, everything that sprung, that happened leading into it and everything that has come downstream from it, I think all keyed off of the NBA, their actions, their, uh, you know, the, the, the thoughtfulness by which they went, uh, you know, in devising that whole circumstance from a health and safety perspective, every way you look, I think it was instructive to so many different properties and that, and frankly gave, a lot of other leagues and 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 um, and events the courage to 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 carry on. So I think that to me would be at the core of a of a thirty for thirty story on COVID. Yeah, either that or WWE because you know we yeah. never went we never went off the air. We kept going, and uh, <laughs> you know that that was quite an accomplishment in and of itself. I, I can I can only pander to one party at a time. You know? <laughs> I know that's true. That's true. I understand. I you're not paying the, them, uh, Stephanie. You're I not can, paying ESPN. <laughs> yeah. I can I can see it already that the opening scene is going to be the March 11th shutdown, and uh, and then the, yeah. the stoppages of all the leagues, and yeah. then how we came back from that. And it, it is a very interesting story because it looks it looks when things happen it looks easier now, but when we were sitting in those rooms, we we were having board of governors meetings every few days to say how can we get players back safely? Is it doable? 
we would have scientists come in. We'd have all the world experts and 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 working with uh, ESPN. Bob, Bob Iger, I saw down at the bubble and he was very proud of what the Disney employees did and we were too, that yeah. it kept our players safe and everyone was vigilant and everyone contributed. So it really was, uh, when, when we were terrified going into this, Adam Silver was terrified going into this because you, you cannot have a failed experiment with this. You cannot put people at risk. And we are so fortunate that, that they were so organized and scientists helped and, and the partnership with Disney that no one got COVID. Uh, you, you know, I have goosebumps when I think about it because we did not want to put any players in danger, any fans in, in danger. And it also gave a lift to the country because as you remember, you know, you know, you don't really want to really watch too much, you know, curling 24 by seven on television when there's nothing else on. And, I'm okay with the world's strongest man competition, Burke. But, you know, Magnus for Magnuson's fine by me. Yeah, distant relative. Yeah. <laughs> it, was really it was really uplifting to have those games and have that go so well. So I think it's it was. Be a great and, for 30. And, and the last thing I'll say on it too was that fan ultimately they created a competition that fans considered to be legitimate. And, and, you know, like that was a big unanswered question too, was how are they going to bring the teams back based on where they were in the season? Could they finish it in a way that fans felt was genuine and legitimate? And ultimately when they gave, you know, a trophy to who, you know, to the Lakers was, did fans feel like that was, that that was, that they earned it. And, and unquestionably, I think they, they nailed it on that point too, which was important. I'll editorialize a little bit in that even watching with partial fans back, it doesn't feel quite right. So one of the questions is, is there a sporting event on the radar screen that to you will mark the sign that we are back? College football. I think, and I say that because college football, I think had the hardest time dealing with the in stadium issues, right? They're not a professional league. They don't have the resources. It's a decentralized situation with each individual conference making their own decisions autonomously. I think you saw a mishmash of, you know, partially filled stadiums, no fans here. They didn't have the ability to dress it up and do the things that Stephanie and the NBA did in and, order and to And they try were also at the whim of local health officials. There was not a yeah. uniform mm -hmm. policy. Yeah. So, I mean, I give them credit because they somehow, some way managed to pull off a season. Um, but I think when we see you know, a, a filled big house at Michigan or Texas, you know, down in Texas or, or in at USC in the LA Coliseum, like when that's back to the way it used to be, it'll feel to me like we've come out the other end successfully. Stephanie? I think it's a really interesting answer. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm of course I have to say WWE, right? But when I think about college football, because it's not just um, it's not just having fans in attendance, it's the whole collegian, you know, audience and it's everything that goes with that. You know, I, I think that that really will be a key turning point. I think it was a, a great answer. Yeah. What about the Olympics? Are the Olympics the same? I mean, they're largely a made for TV event. So is it the same without fans there if, if we do in fact wind up staging a games? Sounds like we are. I'm on one of the subcommittees, but it sounds like we are going to stage the games. Um, and right now they're talking about limited, limited travel and no fans from outside of Japan. Japan's been pretty good at, at controlling COVID. It's, it's a mask oriented culture. Uh, and they, so there will be plenty of Japanese fans there, I believe. And there might even be outside fans. As you know, the vaccines are, uh, the, the work we've done at the NBA, the vaccines are rolling out very quickly right now. And, uh, and, and I'm certainly hoping 
that that'll enable uh, a fan powered Olympics. But I think you're, I think you Burke would talk to, could talk to this. The Olympics are a, a, a made for TV thing. The fans give electricity. So hopefully there'll be some kind of fans there. Um, but, but uh, I think television does a great job portraying those. We have about two minutes left. So for each of you and share, talk to among each other, biggest lessons learned throughout this. There's nothing more important than your fans. I mean, that, that, that's, you know, just one of the key lessons that I've always known. It's always been about them. It should always be about them providing the best experience possible across any platform and bringing everybody together in whatever ways we can. I would say, I would say, um, I hadn't realized that taking granted the centrality of how important sports are in the world and certainly in the United States. Uh, without going without NBA games for that period of time we did until the bubble happened, um, you know, we were all, it, it was like living in a gray world rather than in color world um, and living in a linear world rather than digital world, let's say for, the, for this panel. Uh, and so sports has really brought people together. And you've seen now with, with all, all the, the social justice activity of the NBA and other sports trying to move, bring that movement forward. And you're going to see more and more of that. So I, I think the centrality of, of American sports, maybe versus any place in the world, was, was shown in this COVID crisis. Burke, you from the Herculean effort of keeping it all together? I'm sorry, I lost my connection for a second, so I didn't hear the question. What, what one defining lesson learned from this COVID era? Uh, I think that uh, a premium, we, like a premium on innovation and efficiency. You know, like I think it taught a lot of us who, who may have considered there only to be one way to do things or this is what guarantees, you know, the highest level of quality. When faced with crisis, um, you know, I, I was really impressed across our industry, I'm not just talking about ESPN here, but across our industry, how people figured out a way to innovate and to push our business forward in a way that, 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 that uh, really gives me hope for, you know, where, where we're going to be going forward, that there's nothing that we can't get through. Uh, so I'm, I'm really happy with, with how we came out the other side. Hopefully we get there, we get all the way out sooner than later. Yeah, I agree with you, Burke. And I think it, I think it also has, has really, COVID has pushed technologies that were happening and it's turbocharged those, it's accelerated adoption. It goes back all the way back to SARS. When SARS hit in 2003, I think internet penetration in China, e-commerce was 11%. Three years later, it was 37%. They were leading the world in e-commerce. And yeah. I, think, I think this COVID shutdown and all the issues has really pushed us faster. It's accelerating trends that were happening anyway, but it's really accelerated. All right, that's, Stephanie, that's Steve, we'll let you have the last word there. Sorry, Burke, we're gonna, we got to let Steve have the last word there. Thank you so much for uh, sharing uh, with the audience. We, we do appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.